Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations today. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have a special guest, Don Profit. Yes, P-R-O-F-F-I-T, Profit, you heard it right. And Don is an ethical literacy coach. Now, when I met Don, this was the first time I had heard this phrase, and I'm very excited about this body of work that he's doing. He's also president of Profit Projects. Don, welcome. Hey, welcome, Cheryl. Oh, hey, it's good to have you here today. Now, Don, where are you today? Today I'm sitting in uh, Lawrenceville, New Jersey in uh, a conference room in in the school district I uh, formerly worked for Ah. in that I've become so mobile that I no longer have a landline. I got myself to a phone with a cord. Oh, well, we appreciate that very much. You know, someday we're not going to even have those to use. That's true. Uh, That's true. Um, So Don and I met when we were in Bali last summer at the um, Conference on Indigenous Leadership and Global Transformation put on by the Bali Institute, and it was quite fun. It was a wonderful time, wasn't it, Don? It was, yeah, it was fabulous. It, it was, was fabulous. And, you know, I have to, I have to say that the photo that we used in the announcement is actually a photo that was taken of you in Bali. And for those listeners who look very closely <laughs> at the photo, you'll notice that there are two little grains of rice right on Don's forehead, and that is because we had just come out of ritual ceremony that the Balinese have you know, as they began the celebration of the whole time that we were there for the for the conference, and um, I just had to use that one, Don, sorry. <laughs> well, I'm glad you clarified it, that it was rice and not some other growth or... <laughs> so. It was such a wonderful experience there, wasn't it? Yeah. It was um, one of those profound, uh, life-changing uh, events. Had you Absolutely. been to Bali before? I had gone about 18 months uh, prior mm-hmm. to um, the second uh, uh, Bali Institute uh, gathering. Oh, right. Uh, so uh, you become addicted. <laughs> <laughs> I can completely agree with that. Bali is an addiction. And um, for anyone who has not had the pleasure of uh, making that trek to Bali, I encourage you to do whatever it takes to get to this incredible culture and experience the incredible people. Right. We, we are forever changed, as you say. Right. So today's show is called The Leadership of Inclusion. Um, and, you know, there's so many parts of your life that I, I want you to share, but the, one of the reasons that I've focused on this is that you have had several experiences throughout your life that have really shaped your perception of the power of inclusive communities. And um, I want to talk a little bit about that a little bit as we move forward in the conversation. But the first thing I would like you to do is to help us all understand 
we, what is ethical literacy? You call yourself an ethical literacy coach, and I know you're associated with the Institute for Global Ethics. Yes. But explain to us what that is. Sure. Um, an ethical literacy coach is um, someone uh, who will um, land in a school district or a school and really begin to work with um, students, parents, school board, the teacher, uh, the administration in um, transforming the culture of the school to one that is uh, more ethically uh, grounded. Um, so what we're, what we're doing there is helping um, uh, young people um, and, and the adults working with them to build stronger relationships, to uh, personalize um, instruction in a way that uh, is more meaningful but also to begin to look at uh, our, our behavior based on ethics and really based on what happens when two of your uh, values come into conflict. So it's not so much about right and wrong behavior, but we're looking at what happens, say, for a young person when loyalty to your peer group, uh, and, and we want kids to be loyal, you know. Mm-hmm. Loyalty is a value that, um, that we do, uh, do want kids to uh, to learn, right. uh, but what happens when loyalty comes into conflict with honesty? When is mm. it important to come to an adult because um, you've observed something, you've uh, seen something, you have information that may indeed help protect the whole community? So it, it's w- when do you need to side with your friends? When do you need to uh, be honest? And, and you know that that uh, that concept, whether it's loyalty and honesty or um, Justice and mercy is another uh, another area where uh, we become ethically uh, conflicted. Mm. Um, it's good for families, um, corporations, communities. Right. Yeah. But right now we're focused uh, on uh, on schools throughout the country, and it's um, it's exciting work. It's it's not easy work because um, it's about the conversation, and it's not just about putting up a set of values on the schoolhouse door and saying. Right. This is what we believe in. It's more than that. It's really uh, changing the language. That is powerful. Now, how are the kids responding to this when you go in? Well, the kids are great. You know, um, we'll start uh, with about 10 to 12 people in an ethical literacy team. And this this sometimes will follow a full day of um, doing some ethical fitness training, as it were, Uh with the entire staff and kids. But we really focus on this small group who become champions um, of of the process, who then go out and begin to uh, you know craft a uh, communications plan, mm-hmm. um, an action plan that that includes everything from assemblies to um, uh, role play and any uh, tools we can use to to help get that new language of ethics in play. Um, the kids. Um, uh, seem to to really get it quick. You know, um, sometimes when we're working with a group, you you might hear adults say, "Gee, you know, this is great for the kids, but for me, I'm all already there. I don't need um, to think about it." But you know, but for this to work, it, it's the adults and the kids together. It it has to be one community. You know, and uh, what happens is the the voice, the authentic voice of the kids, uh, begins to strengthen when they get to articulate their feelings and beliefs based on, you know, a set of shared values that the school um, will identify. So the kids are great. They're right out there. (laughs) 
And, well, you know, and, and it makes so much sense because they really are in that space of trying to figure it out. And right. so something that gives them um, a structure to lean mm-hmm. into, not necessarily saying this is what you always have to do and if you don't, right. you're wrong, um, which is what most of the rules, quote-unquote, of, right. of the game are, um, but really helping them to understand the power of choice and Absolutely. that their actions matter. That's it. And so what we find, I mean, I look back when I was an assistant principal and handled discipline on a daily basis for three years, and I think that's where I fell into the work of the Institute for Global Ethics, Rush Kidder's work. Rush Kidder is the founder um, and uh, wrote the book, uh, How Good People Make Tough Choices. Mm. And in in his book, um, he uh, establishes a framework for resolving these right versus right dilemmas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're looking at, uh, I had mentioned before, that they basically fall into uh, four areas, right, right versus right, which would be justice, mercy, um, uh, honesty and loyalty, mm-hmm. long-term, short-term, and, and the in- individual and community. So, um, you know, once we begin to, to look at that framework and, and how, um, how these ethical dilemmas can be resolved, uh, and again, it's not easy. It doesn't, it's not like a right. quick fix, but it gives you a map, as it were, to move through this. So um, right. I found that extremely useful as an assistant principal where I was very concerned about we would punish, send kids home, give them detention, um, and the door never stopped. It was a revolving right. door. The same kids would come back. The same kids would come back. So at least this way, we had a tool for talking with the kids about some of the choices they were making rather than just, you know, here's the rule. <laughs> you broke it, and now you're punished, and let's move on. This, yeah. this way we really could do some uh, remediation, as it were, and begin to uh, give kids, you know, better tools for making choices. Mm. Do you remember any specific stories you can share with us about the kids and the kinds of Well, I, I can give things? one. I know a couple of years back right here in Lawrence, um, we had we had just finished uh, uh, the AP exams, and the AP exam, advanced placement exam in physics, had just ended in a group, a group of kids sitting around the classroom the next day because uh, usually after those exams, kids take a deep breath and, and the teacher. And we had a group of uh, four kids in the back of the room who um, discovered a pile of dry cell batteries. And so um, one, one, one young man um, asked uh, of his peers, um, gee, you know, how does that work? What, you know, what really happens in a dry cell battery? So a young man who was very knowledgeable, a real good kid, uh, never had any issues here whatsoever, took apart the uh, wrapper. Uh, you know, took the wrapper off the battery and revealed the uh, cylinders inside with the twisty little wires coming off. And, and another student said something about, well, gee, that appears, you know, looks like a bomb. Uh, nothing more was said until uh, later uh, in the day, um, uh, my school police officer and uh, uh, secretary found what they thought was a bomb in the hallway. Oh, boy. Of course, it turned out to be the battery, but, but, but the true story was when... Uh, it hit the newspapers. It, it really portrayed the high school as not a safe place. Right. And we had worked. We had been six years into this ethical literacy um, concept, and and we had kids who were making great decisions. I mean, you don't eliminate all the uh, all the, all the poor choices, but at least you have this um, place to talk about it and to move forward. Um, so one young man who was part of the group. Um, 
uh, wanted to see me, and I got a call to come back to school, and I was there with his mom, and he was going, you know, Mr. Prophet, um, I'm really uh, saddened by what I'm seeing in the newspaper, and I really um, feel that that is not who we are. So mm. I've been dealing with this this dilemma. The person who did it is my best friend. Oh, wow. He didn't mean to cause the issue, but, yeah, that's what happened, and he dropped it in the hall. But the thing I'm fighting with is um, protecting him or coming forward. And he said, in this case, I'm going to side with, um, you know, honesty over loyalty and also the sense of community, that this high school is bigger than any one of us and that, you know, what they're saying in the paper isn't true. So by, by this young man and the strength that it took for him to mm-hmm. make that decision, you know, and and I got to tell you, mom wasn't really happy because mom sure. was thinking there's going to be repercussions. Right. But you know that that's the kind of behavior we were beginning to see then. The kids wow. did stand up and did uh, do the right thing. That is so powerful. Thank we you. have more to talk about with sure. Ron when we come back after this message. Talk about his money. Call us toll free, 866 472 5790, and talk to the experts. We talk money all the time. Voice America Business. Leadership is not static, it evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexsaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. More and more business people recognize the importance of spirituality in their work. How do busy professionals discover what rings true for them? Embracing the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad explores what it means to be spiritually fulfilled in business and how to integrate spiritual direction into a career. Expert guests, authors, and inspiring speakers join Karen every week to discuss such issues as honesty, compassion, generosity, ethics, and integrity in the workplace. Take a positive step forward to greater life balance. Tune into Embracing the the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad, broadcasting every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Money, money, up to date business and financial news. Money, money, call now and get the financial information you need. 866 472 5790. 866 472 5790. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back. We're speaking with Don Profit today, an ethical literacy coach and president of Profit Projects. So, Don, what kind of projects does Profit Projects <laughs> engage in? Well, you know, I, I needed a title when I when I uh, uh, 
you know, uh, retired as being a, a school principal. So I thought, I, I have all this ADD going on in my brain. So I <laughs> thought I'd do something general. So Profit Projects had a, had a kind of a sweet ring to it. And so, so what I'm doing is, um, you know, I've been doing, uh, right now I'm on the executive committee for the Bali Institute for Global Renewal, uh, Renewal there with, um, uh, Marsha Jaffe right. and, um, and look forward to going back. And, uh, I, I know one project we have on, on the books for the future is, uh, perhaps, um, um, a session where, um, high school students, uh, teachers and their principals come together in Bali to, um, uh, understand a, say, a non-Western approach to, uh, living, to, uh, to spirit and work. Uh-huh. And, um, we'd like to tie that in with, um, service learning projects in, uh, local neighborhoods, uh, work with some of the local schools, mm-hmm. and, and really come back with, um, th- that sense of, uh, beauty and spirit and relationship that the Balinese have for the world and, and each other. So that, that's one thing's going on there. Um, I'm the Northeast Regional um, Steward for the World Cafe um, uh, community, and uh, and, and uh, really enjoy that process. That uh, if people don't know that, that uh, should get online and check out uh, theworldcafe.com. And, and just, just quickly, for anybody yes. who's not familiar with the World Cafe, that is a um, process by which you can engage small or large groups of people within together in conversation to really dig deep in a very concise way um, to gain information and share information and come to some problem solving, right? It, it's fabulous in, in that it it really takes a, a group, a community, a school, um, a team, a work team to, to a wonderful um, uh, deep place where uh, ego begins to dissolve away mm-hmm. and you really focus on um, the issues at hand in a way that is um, uh, uplifting, um, not always depending on what happened in the past, but thinking mm-hmm. toward the future. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Juanita, uh, Juanita Brown and uh, David Isaac's work, is, you know, in, in putting that all together, along with uh, people from all around the world, has been uh, 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 profound, uh, anyhow, for me. Absolutely. Well, Juanita and David both are amazing. Yep. We've had Juanita Brown as a guest on the show, and David Isaacs is going to be mm-hmm. a guest in a few weeks, so we're mm-hmm. very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go back okay. to a time when you really began to form and shape your own sense of what was right and wrong, what was ethical, mm-hmm. that you really had choices. Sure. Let's go back to a time when um, the Vietnam War was happening, sure. and you were about, what, 18, right? Sure. I, well, I had uh, I was approaching uh, uh, college graduation. I went to uh, Westminster Choir College, a, a, a wonderful music school here in uh, Princeton, New Jersey, now part of uh, Ryder University. Um, and... Um, I had received my draft notice and uh, knew that I was also my um, lottery number that year because uh, the draft operated by lottery in the midst of uh, that okay, war. Okay, so I know, sorry to interrupt, but I know that there are people listening to this mm-hmm. who think the lottery number is the lottery ticket you buy to see if you win millions of dollars. <laughs> sure. And in fact, that was not it, right? It was not it. Your, mm-hmm. na- your birthday, your birth date goes into uh, a, a large... Uh, 
like a bingo <laughs> file. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I'm imagining that. But anyhow, they draw, um, based on, on each birthday, they draw a number out. Mm-hmm. And so for me, uh, January 19th it turned out to be number 56. Mm-hmm. And in 1970, you were probably, you know, uh, you were guaranteed with, with a low number like that to, um, to move on out, uh, real quickly to, uh, to the front. In um, Vietnam. In Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, as a young man, I, and, and I still am, I'm very passionate about, uh, about the country, and, um, I also felt that it, it, um, silly me, maybe, <laughs> that everybody should, uh, serve. I mean, it wouldn't it be great if everybody gave two years, but in a, in a field or, or in an endeavor that you have talent in and, and that will also benefit. So as... Um, more like the service corps. More like the yeah. service corps, Peace Corps. And I was going to be a music teacher, and I just felt, gee, you know, I want to do something. Um, but uh, I knew that uh, carrying, uh, carrying a gun uh, was not going to be uh, something that I could do. Right. And, and so I had uh, really had to struggle with that because once you have been... Uh, classified, um, ready and uh, able to go, um, to get that changed, you know, and I think I was 22 at the time, to have that changed from 1A to uh, to a CO uh, status, conscientious conscientious objector, objector, um, is very difficult. And I know my local board refused the first time and on appeal. The state also did, and it was at the national level um, that it was finally... um, uh, turned around and, uh, you know, from my parents writing in support and, uh, really, uh, having to put, put yourself on the line of what you are willing and, and you are not willing to do. Right. Um, and I did not have one, uh, you know, I grew up as a, a Calvinist congregationalist out in uh, Massachusetts, but I had, you know, long since stopped going to church, so I couldn't really claim Ah, yeah. A religious um, belief, or one, or one continual religion, or, right. or religious uh, sect that I followed. So, right, right. so I finally got it and um, worked through the Quakers, and um, thought I wanted to get away from the East Coast. We lived in Pennsylvania at the time, so um, found um, Alaska Children's Services up in Anchorage that worked in emergency shelters and group mm-hmm. homes for kids, and took a position with them. Oh, wow! Yeah. And so, what was that like for you? You were in Alaska. It was pretty remote, right? It was pretty remote. And and now, when I say this, uh, you know, I'm not diminishing what it means to be uh, a soldier. Uh, But we tend to fight our war anyhow at some point. (laughs) And so, uh, up there in in that darkness, um, and and also uh, wonderful uh, sunlight all summer long, uh, it was difficult. It was was coming to grips with... um, with the war itself and 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 my decision not to uh dealing with uh, friends and relatives who had issue with my choice right. um, and also struggling as I worked with these kids who were homeless or um, products of uh you know abuse and and uh, disintegrating families and um, kind of what was happening as as um as the West, as as the, U- the U.S. government was having an impact on indigenous people up there, um, I had I had real difficulty with it. I ended up composing uh, music then, volunteering and becoming a composer for the Episcopal Church, writing at the time folk masses were big. Hmm. So, 
um, had my guitar and had my music background and, you know, directed a choir and, uh, through that met, um, the bishop of the state who, um, had me go up and spend about three months in Point Hope, um, an Inuit village, uh, up above the Arctic Circle. Wow. Um, for about, I think there were about 300 people representing five families in a town that still, um, at that time would whale, would go out in skin boats. Really? You know, in whale. And, um, that to me was that point where I was feeling like an outsider. Yeah, yeah. But in the city it was different in Anchorage. But when I hit this place, <laughs> as one of three, you know, white people there, there was a young, um, seminary student and his wife also there. But, um, it was, um, it was like facing um, the beast. It was a very scary thing. But I got to tell you, um, it helps you survive. Um, you understand uh, how wonderful people are and can be, and how community does function in, in a way that's uh, um, so meaningful mm. that um, uh, you get over yourself real fast. <laughs> you know. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, you now, do. You, you talk about the, that there is an intersection between arts and ethics and that that right. really is, plays big in defining inclusive communities. Can you talk yeah. about that? Well, I think the arts define who we are as a people. I think when you go, I, I just came back from China, and so when I, I, I finished uh, in uh, Xi'an visiting some schools and, and, and in Beijing and seeing the um, incredible talents of kids um, and w- when harnessed to a creative form, whether it's music or, or the arts or theater or dance, that um, there's a certain energy that happens that, um, that, that moves out from the community and, and defines it. So um, also looking, well, in Xi'an, looking at the, um, the terracotta soldiers, that, that immense collection of uh, clay figures that were buried uh, with the first emperor um, and to see those to, to say well th- here's what remains now um, of, of that of that particular culture and time um, so the arts play that there's also something about in in the gesture of making art whether or composing or dancing or theater that the that the movement you do the mark you make the sound you create the character you um, haunt mm-hmm. in a play has to be um, honest and has to be authentic. If it um, fails in that authenticity, it looks more like a lie. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. so what I see then is as you move to um, being aware of your core values, of, of values such as respect, responsibility, Fairness, honesty, and compassion. I'll just name five because those tend to be the five we work mm-hmm. with at the uh, institute. Um, that um, art making will um, uh, display those well. And, if you're and, going to create a piece of music, you need to be responsible in how you do it. it there's a certain respect of the form. Um, you know, that, that all of that comes into play of, of who we are as artists and people and, and how that ties with, with that inner core. And so when you were in the Inuit village, um, this is, and you were doing the music, right. and you were leading the choir, 
This was where you saw some of the shaping of their presence in their community. Yeah, there was, um, in order to, to bring people together to sing, it, it, um, because there are no clocks there, you had to go out and ring a bell. And then maybe. Our bells may run. Okay. Oh, all right, <laughs> we'll continue this. Take a break. Okay. So we'll be right back and pick right. up this lot. Sure. Talk about his money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk money all the time. Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Hey, Dad. What? Can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity. But being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On the economy and the markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host, Doug Cliggett, utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Market with Doug Cliggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The economy and the markets. Clear thoughts in a complex world. Stocks, bonds, 401ks, investments, refinancing. We can help you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. When we're speaking with Don Profit, Don, before the break, um, we were before our bell got rung, um, we were talking about the time you spent in the Inuit village above the Arctic Circle and that arts and ethics really created an intersection in defining the mm-hmm. inclusive communities. Now, sure. you had um, been, you had created a choir, you had been leading the choir, you were, you know, helping people with um, music, and you were about to tell us how that had an effect. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I ended with maybe, and, and you, I would have to go out and ring a bell. In order to bring people together. And i got to tell you, 
you don't know who's going to show up or if anybody will show up. So I think there was a certain understanding at that point that um, to be open, um, that, um, you know, maybe somebody will show up. Mm. And again, when that happened, I realized, you know, I was the guest. This wasn't, you know, here, here's the young musician showing up, you know, with a good, strong ego, and I'm going to, you know, make music every part of your life from now on. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. It wasn't about me. It was about um, a collective. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about survival. It was about understanding uh, the edge and moving to a frontier of what's possible and 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 finding balance. I mean, th- this place was so remote and up in the tundra. I mean, um, the the cemetery at that time was only uh, maybe fifty years old mm. and very eerie. Prior to that, you could still find, as you walked out, shallow um, open graves. Oh wow! And um, and uh, you know, the Episcopal Church was smart in their missionary work in that. Um, the, the priest of, uh, of this particular um, church, um, this uh, Anglican Episcopal outpost, um, the priest was uh, Inuit from the village mm. rather than somebody from outside. So um, there was a certain level of respect, and uh, right. and the priest was also the patriarch, and his wife uh, was the matriarch of the uh, village. Uh, so there was this other... Other form where where religion um, itself or the church itself really blended seamlessly with the community. So it, it was that taking people for who they are, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for um, also on, on my part uh, being extremely responsible, having to ring that bell because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, it would have been easy just also not to ring the bell, <laughs> you know, and drink tea. <laughs> and, you know, and, that's and, very interesting. I mean, it sounds yeah. like something so simple, and yet it was a very important part of the collaboration right. with the community. With the community. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had something to offer, um, uh, but together um, it, it was so much stronger when we all came together. So, right. Right. so um, uh, yeah, it was pretty profound. But, but for me it was. It was that sense of the arts of... Um, of uh, wa- watching um, uh, people there carve, um, you know, ivory um, uh, fetishes and things of that nature of animals and seals, mm-hmm. and um, the respect for, um, for for the whale, which they continued to hunt at that time, and and how the the, the placement of a whale as it's brought into the village, mm-hmm. um, kind of in a um, a temple of um, like a Stonehenge out of uh, uh, whale bones and, and jaw bones and rib bones from previous hunts. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was um, it was really um, a sacred space. So, did you really feel like you became part of that community? Um, as much as I think I could at, at 22 or so, and um, uh, very green <laughs> to the world, as it were. And who I was, um, I think that um, I was welcomed, perhaps uh, far more than um, I allowed myself to feel welcomed. If that makes sense. Yeah, I understand yeah. that. Yeah. You know, a lot of walls and, and uh, stuff I had up there. You know. Yeah, I I bet you did. I mm-hmm. bet you did. Now, you know, so that helps me understand, and I'm sure it helps our listeners understand a bit more about. 
you know, the arts, clearly that was the music, and yep. um, the ethics being the part you played and, right. and the responsibility you held to the community. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like part of that also, part of the ethical piece of that was really honoring who they were and not trying to change that. Right, yeah. right. And, and not trying to form, <laughs> you, you can't form a community into what what you want it to be. I mean, you can have influence, but... You know, it was accepting. This is, this is what this is. Yeah. You yeah. know, and if I'm pushing against this, um, it's only going to push me further away. It is not um, appropriate for me to do that, and not possible for me to try to bend it to how I wanted to see the world at that right. time. Right. And so that makes me wonder about in the high schools when you mm-hmm. are doing the work in the high schools how this really applies, you know, because in some ways the community is formed whether or not it's visible. Right. And, and, and I know that um, with, with the schools that I uh, serve as, as an ethical literacy coach, each school was different. Um, I have, uh, I have a, um, an independent school out on the East Coast uh, on Buzzards Bay, the Tabor Academy, um, they approach this um, cultural, uh, this culture shift, very differently from another school I work with up in um, Redmond, uh, Washington, at uh, the Overlake School. Uh-huh. And um, it, it's it's just all very different. And and uh, two other schools that, that come to mind. One is in Orville, Ohio. Um, a high school that had worked with Rush Gitter, who I had mentioned before, was mm-hmm. the founder of the uh, Institute for Global Ethics, um, back 10 years ago. And so they wanted to kind of rekindle uh, this um, sense of uh, ethical literacy. Um, and so coming in, it was interesting in, in that this was um, a school very different from either coast, from the east or west. It was um, a very stable community with very little mobility as far as... Um, families coming and going. So um, working to identify the core values was very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, helping um, or you know, making suggestions of how we can continue to move this forward was perhaps more difficult in that um, there sometimes is that feeling, well, gee, you know, we've had this for 10 years. This is how we do it. And um, we just needed that um, booster shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know if we're going to keep adapting and changing. So, right. you know, it, it's it's that, um, I think coming in as the coach is, is um, you know, to suspend judgment, especially as a former principal, to let that go. This isn't right. my school, you know, ah. and, and to really listen mm-hmm. to where we go. And, and it really is about the client. It is about the school mm-hmm. and, and what they see for themselves mm-hmm. and, and how do I help them get there. And so you've talked about um, how honesty is a big part of this mm-hmm. and um, you know how you make choices around when to be honest, when not to be honest. Mm-hmm. You had an experience in your life as a principal where mm-hmm. you took a stand and you shared a lot about yourself to the community. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, you know, I had been here in Lawrence um, Township Schools um, for a number of years as their fine arts director and then an assistant principal, and then I left uh, in order to become a principal um, in another school uh, district here in Jersey, and then I was invited back. 
when the principal retired. And we had this um, plan also to do a large addition to the high school and and um, knowing that I had this um, interest in, in how place defines how we behave <laughs> and what we could do to uh, also increase academic achievement by designing a school that uh, would support those uh, that those goals. Um, coming back to the school, it was um, I found a school that 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 was tough. Um, a lot of kids, you know, were walking around the hallways with their heads, you know, down, not looking each other in the eye. The teachers were reluctant to greet kids at the door. We had gone through, a, you know, a, a demographic shift here, um, and you know, Lawrence uh, is a wonderful crossroads of, of little neighborhoods that all come together in this high school. And um, I think while I was here, and I'm not sure of the numbers now, but there were close to 40 different languages spoken at the high school with all kinds of uh, wonderful um, uh, n new people coming into the district. So um, I inherited a school that was uh, having difficulty look looking at each other right in, in the eye and, and accepting them. I also um, had been invited that first year back to um, Lawrenceville Prep School, which is um, um, in town here too, a very uh, prestigious prep school. And they were having issues with um, um, some uh, gay bashing and uh, uh, some hateful uh, bias um, comments coming out of uh, their community. So they brought in um, Kevin Jennings from Gliss uh, uh, and the Gay Lesbian Straight Educators Network. And I became part of a panel that night of, of county superintendents and principals of how were they making their schools safer for um, all kids, but especially uh, gay, uh, lesbian, and questioning right. youth. Um, and so, the, you know, it was a, a typical panel discussion. As the evening went on, uh, um, the moderator asked the question, well, how do you really know? How do you really know what it's like to be an outsider? Uh -huh. And um, I, I don't even, it didn't seem like me saying this, but, it, but I did. Um, I told the story of how when I was in high school, um, uh, and uh, being gay um, uh, in, in a, uh, on a farm area in Illinois, uh, being attacked in a stairwell. Mm. And then from that, I said, you know, and, and, and now here I am um, <laughs> with families in the audience from my school. And not that it was a secret in the past, but it was never um, basically discussed. Sure. So uh, um, I kind of came out that night. Right. Not kind of, I did. Yeah, right. In an attempt to... Um, I guess model um, um, a, a uh, an authenticity. I don't even know if that's what it is, but but to model um, a behavior that was was no longer going to tolerate um, uh, uh, you know uh, remarks that would upset any group, right. any race, any gender, uh, any socioeconomic status, you know, any any of that in, in my high school or in my town, and. Um, so, you know, that, that turned out to be a blip, not even a blip on the radar, because, right. probably because people knew. You know, um, James Baldwin had a quote somewhere, and I don't, won't have it right, but he says, you know, anytime you're keeping a secret from yourself, it's only you who keeps that secret. Everybody else oh, knows yeah. who you are. So it really made a, a positive change at the high school, and, and uh, it turned us around. That's amazing and took such courage. We'll talk more about this when we come right back.
talk about his money, call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk money all the time. Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexsaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk money all the time. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. We're speaking with Don Profit today, an ethical literacy coach and a president of Profit Projects. Now, Don, just before we went to break, you were sharing with us how you really took your own ethical stand in a big way when you were principal of um, the high school there in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And during an evening when um, the school board and supervisors were having a panel discussing um, some of the issues around gay bashing, you actually stood up and said, well, I do know what that's like because mm-hmm. I am gay and I had the experience in high school. Right. And um, <clears throat> so what... And you said it really turned out to be, an, uh, you know, kind of a non-issue. Well, um, for, for me, it was a non-issue. Uh-huh. I mean, I expected. I mean, there was an article in the next day's paper, but um, you know, there was no more than a byline at the end, or, or just the last couple lines saying, um, um, you know, Don Profit. Um, I think they said gay principal rather than a principal who happens to be gay. Yeah. Um, but you know, that was about it, and. And, and what happened from that, you know, I, I did say right, right before break that the school turned around, and I don't, um, you know, please, I, I'm not taking credit for turning a school around based on one incident, but what happened was um, that standing up, I think, at that point permitted others, um, all kinds of kids and, and adults and families um, who felt better about the high school. So, you know, I would, it turned out that, you know, um, people would uh, make appointments to come and see me just to say that, you know, they feel better about the school. Um, and, oh, by the way, um, you know, uh, our daughter, and it has to be two, two dads, and our daughter is so-and-so, or, or you'll find two moms, or you'll find um, a number of different um, um, 
uh, kinds of families. Right. I, I want to be careful how I say that. Who, who felt really, really yeah. better that right. at least somebody was there who was listening and making right. sure that the place was safe. Right. Um, so yeah, we, what we did find was um, uh, an openness. You, you didn't hear phrases like "gee, those shoes are gay," mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as you walk down the hall right. or something right. silly like that. So right. it, it made a difference. Um, in in how we related to each other there, and, I, and I'm sure that there were people who were not happy about it. Yeah. Um, but you know, for the most part, this is where we were, and uh, and uh, it, it uh, and I think for me, anyhow, it made it easier to be a, a school leader. Well, and what year was that? That was um, two thousand, I believe, in the fall of two thousand. Yeah, you know, I mean, that took that did take a lot of courage, and I know that um, because it was so clear in yourself that this was, um, you know, the right thing to do. Um, it it felt like a natural step right. for in general in for the general population in the U.S. at the time. That was a really hot topic. I mean, it's still a hot topic. Obviously, it's still a hot topic. You know, Absolutely. hasn't changed, but. Um, I think even more than, and you know, you, I mean, you were risking your career at that point mm, to yeah. do that. You know? Well, you know, it's funny because when I started teaching back in the seventies, it was still, as with with many states, you know, um, if you were uh, if you had identified as a gay male or um, or homosexual at that point or or, or, or lesbian, that it was um, really against the law. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were state yeah. statutes here in Jersey where this was not. Appropriate, right, you know, right, for you to be teaching. Right, so right. we've come a long way. So we've that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, and that really gave you the opportunity to do what you were um, talking about in terms of um, creating inclusive communities. Right, because then everybody felt welcome. Everybody felt welcome. Right. To to, uh, to to kind of begin to develop their authentic voice, whether right. you were an adult or a right, kid. Right. So that fact that um, you know, I, I, I did my best to maintain an open door to my office. That um, uh, you know, you come in without judgment and, and let's you know, if we, let's have a great conversation about yeah. what matters. Yeah. You know, so I think that um, that attitude is what uh, right. uh, sustained me. And, and I think for the first time in my life. Um, having moved every couple years in in elementary school, right straight to high school, I think I went to three different high schools. Wow! I finally felt, you know, I finally felt this sense of community. Oh, interesting! Um, you know, where I uh, felt very um, grounded that I had mm-hmm. roots finally, and that I also had these the sense of flight of, of wings, also a sense of freedom. Isn't so, that a great yeah. image? Yeah. I, well, and you know, to be being able to be. Um, accepted in our communities is something very basic that we all need. Right. And, you know, that's how connection gets created. Yep. And that is also, I mean, if you can be who you are, then you, you know, can have honest conversations. You know, there isn't always this little hidden piece. And there's that's always, right. You know, oftentimes there's a part of ourselves we don't want to reveal, and I very often use that question in mm-hmm. coaching with uh, my clients, no matter who they are. Right. You know, I coach a lot of leaders, and my question to them is, what part of yourself do you not want to reveal? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is a very important question for people, and right. then they get to the core of why. Um, and so you actually were able to help kids 
see that in themselves, and it didn't have to be kids who were gay. You know? Right. It was, it was all kids. All kids. Yeah. Absolutely. And, that, and that's key. It's not, right, it wasn't proselytizing to one group. It was, this is for everybody. Right. Right. This is for right, everybody. Right. And I have to tell you, I had a superintendent at the time, extremely supportive, mm. and my staff who, um, um, I don't think I could have ever asked for a better a group of 150 uh, teachers and staff um, mm-hmm. than at uh, Lawrence High School during mm-hmm. those six years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So what do you think, um, if you are looking at the ethics of today in, in schools, mm-hmm. um, what do you think is most important for schools to be working on these days? I, I think it is to help identify a set of core values. What, what do we believe? Uh, knowing that, um, you know, we always ask the question, well, whose values are you talking about? Are you talking to people from this side of town or that side of town? But no, really, we can't define a set of values um, that at some level we can all agree upon. Yeah. How we might operationalize them may differ. But if a school can do that and involve parents and School board, faculty, and have um, and kids absolutely, and the tone at the top to have the leadership of that school buy into it and live it. Mm-hmm. I think what we do is really um, uh, teach an important lesson early, mm-hmm. and hopefully later down the road um, we can at least better manage issues such as what happens at Enron. Which right. is really a lesson right. in, in ethics. Right. Um, you know, about a year after they sign this wonderful document stating what their core values are. Right. You know, so those are some of the things that I think um, uh, is vital now for our schools mm-hmm. and, and how we relate to each other. That sense of it's relationship. You know, we have the knowledge, we have the information that needs to be uh, transferred to kids, yeah. Yeah. but it's the, the quality of that relationship. Well, in my opinion, determine uh, how successful we are mm-hmm. in, de- in 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 delivering right. um, what needs to be delivered right. to kids, so that they they feel uh, powerful and um, absolutely involved, civically engaged with uh, the world. Because uh, <laughs> we need it. We really we need it. We do need it absolutely. <laughs> and what you're providing for those kids and the teachers and the school boards. Mm-hmm. is really an empowerment, an mm-hmm. empowerment to really make a difference. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I don't work with schools, but the feeling that I have had for years is that there is a tremendous sense of not being able to affect change. Yeah. And um, you are doing an amazing service yeah. helping them to learn this and then also um, leaving them with the capacity to do it on their own. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't you don't have to be in the room once you leave, right? Yeah. That's right. Okay, yeah. Because basically, I land for two days, and now you know we do yeah. coaching over the three years to keep the program moving, and we do a little summer institute. But yeah, it's um, it's it's uh, it's constant communication, but it's not always right, right. there. Right. So. Right. So, Don, if people want to know more about this or contact you, how can they do that? Sure. Um, I have a. Um, Sometimes up and running a website, which Fife is under uh, construction, but either way, it's uh, www.profitprojects.com, and that's profits with two Fs, all right? Profit Projects. And my uh, email is uh, profitprojects at mac.com. 
great. Donald, this has been a fantastic hour with you. I so appreciate who you are and your being here today. All the best with your profit projects, and um, we'll have to have you back again after uh, you uh, do some more work in the world and see what's going on. I uh, welcome that, Cheryl. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. And remember, everybody, think big. The world could become a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G dot com. See you next week.